When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts, and as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Roberts, and here on the Friday edition of The Yard, hope it's a payday for you. Get out and go do some fun things. You better go out and get you some bread and some milk for your, for your milk sandwiches uh, early next week, as you guys are well aware. Got some bad weather coming in today, so be careful. There is some Arctic weather behind this. It's almost like we're going to be on the planet Hoth and Empire Strikes Back. Good chance we get some snow around the state on Monday. Not expected to uh, get above freezing on Tuesday. So a very chilly start to the week. But uh, listen, it it could be some tornadic activity around the great state of Mississippi and around the south today. So be awfully, awfully careful today. Don't get on drive unless you have to. I understand you want to tough it out, but uh, let's let's avoid unnecessary trips if we can. Again, a little bit of reminder too: your outside pets gonna have to earn it early next week. So let's uh, maybe make that a little bit easier on them. You know, make some preparations. Think about that now. While dogs have lived for thousands of years, there's no point in them being miserable. You wouldn't want to be outside in the freezing cold, nor would they. So let's try to make some arrangements for them. But, uh, but nevertheless, i uh, got a lot of good stuff to talk about. I'll be honest with you guys. When we were together last time, we talked about basketball. I was not optimistic about winning either of these games. And lo and behold, we win them both. And this is a fan base that needs a lot to cheer about. And I'll tell you, it was so fun on the Twitters and on Facebook and on the message boards after the Bulldogs beat Tennessee. I mean, one of the first – signature wins for Coach Chris Jantz. Just kind of call it for what it is. Uh, it's been a couple decades since we knocked off a top-five team in the AP poll. And let's be honest, Tennessee expected to kind of run away with this thing in the SEC. And the Bulldogs made it awfully interesting for the rest of the conference. Also sent a little bit of a warning shot. Say, hey, you come to Humphrey Coliseum, you better pack a hard hat. And, uh, man, good on you guys for selling out Humphrey Coliseum for Saturday night's game against Alabama. How much fun is that going to be, right? This is an Alabama team, too. It's been kind of up and down. Chance for us to get another win. And, and that was the thing we talked about before the SEC slate began. Is, man, if we can find a way to get a split, sets us up to be in a pretty good situation. But uh, now here we are. You lose a game you don't expect to lose as the wind and thunder really begin to resonate around here. So you lose that South Carolina game, and then they get absolutely crushed by Alabama, which makes the loss look even worse. And then what do you do? You bounce back, and you take down Tennessee, who just defeated previously unbeaten Ole Miss. Really sets up to be a, a very interesting SEC season for us. But uh, we're going to – Spent some time talking about those two wins. Of course, the ladies go on the road last night. Jessica Carter, huge game for her as the ladies go into Bud Walton Arena and come home with a W. Lady Bulldogs were 0-2 in the league, now 1-2. And uh, so, again, some things to feel good about. And this is a fan base that needs some things to feel good about. One thing I've learned about Mississippi State fans, 
And yes, like all fan bases, we do have some fair-weathered folks. We do have some self-loathing folks. We do. But by and large, Bulldog fans are at their best when things like this happen. We really kind of rally around each other. Of course, there's a few basketball nerds out there that, uh, you know, they're like, well, well I, I want this to myself. Well, you know, you can't have it to yourself. Okay, we're, we're going to get out of here. We're going to celebrate. And uh, it was so incredibly fun to see all the fun stuff uh, on social media, seeing people celebrating such a huge and in many ways historic win for the Bulldogs. Uh, you know, Ben Howen's record against the uh, AP Top 25 was absolutely abysmal. I broke that down on the show late in the Ben Howen era. And I remember people said, Steve, you're just being negative. Well, facts are facts. And the facts are we just had a huge, huge win in men's basketball. So we're going to celebrate that. We're going to break some of that down for you today. We're going to look ahead to what, what there is to come. Kind of look around the league a little bit, too. Also got a little recruiting news for you later in the show and an epic top 10 list. Epic. A lot of good feedback about uh, the list on Wednesday. Your pop songs that are turning 40 this year. And like all of you, yes, it makes me feel a little bit old. But I'll tell you this. I'm loving life these days. I think this is the coolest version of me that's ever been. And so uh, if, if this is what getting old feels like, then that's fine with me. It suits me just fine. Uh, you can find a bit of a fountain of youth there at Bulldog Burger Company. It's true. It's true. Uh, you can go make you and the world a better-looking place by having those spring rolls. I absolutely love them. It's easily the best appetizer in Starkville proper. I would, I would say the Golden Triangle. I don't think there's any question about it. Have the spring rolls. They'll make you and everybody around you better-looking. Get that great restaurant-quality hamburger. If you're new to Bulldog Burger Company, let me recommend, okay, just get the Bulldog. Okay, just get the Bulldog, and you're going to find that that Bulldog is far and away better than any other hamburger you're going to get at any other place. And then once you get that established, then let's branch out a little bit. Let's get the Freshman 15. Let's get the Bryant. Let's get the Mississippi Barbecue Burger, which I cannot recommend highly enough. And you kind of work your way through it. Find your favorites. I, I know my daughter-in-law, Betsy, hers is the, the mission. She loves the, the mission. I like the mission, too, but I get the pico de gallo on the side because I'm not an onions guy, as you guys know. Uh, well established with that. Uh, but, yeah, three great locations to serve you. University Drive in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Get that bread pudding to go or a chocolate shake to go and ride that ride home with a smile. There's so many great places that you can go. None better. The Bulldog Burger Company for a night out with friends, a night out with family. Whatever your occasion is, Bulldog Burger Company can accommodate you and make you glad you came and put their, your feet under their table. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. All right, we'll start with the men. We will. We'll start with the men, and then we'll get to the ladies. And uh, no disrespect to the ladies, but uh, the fact that we had a top five win, pretty significant. So let's jump into that. Uh, guys, 8,160 people, that's your paid attendance there. Uh, and I'm going to be honest with you, it didn't look to be that many people on there. I'm not going to get out here and crowd shame. I know some people live for that sort of stuff. Uh, but uh, those that didn't make it, you missed it. You did, and hopefully you watched from home. Because this is one I don't think that we're ever going to forget. We talked about when we hired Chris Jans, and this is a guy that's going to keep us in every game. And you remember how, you remember how terrible that trip to Knoxville was last year? I mean, it's kind of reminiscent of some of those been uh, Vic Schaefer games, right? When, when Vic first got here, you know, we kind of took our lumps 
And the next thing you know, we started getting better, and some of those same teams that used to embarrass us were able to compete with. I think Chris is actually a little bit ahead of schedule. I think so. Uh, but, again, one of the things that I want to point out, you're never as bad as your worst game. You're never as good as your best game. So let's kind of have that little moment there of clarity and understand, uh, are we as good as Tennessee? I don't know over the course of the season if it will play out like that, but on this night we absolutely were. But uh, State comes out and just gets off to a tremendous start. For those of you that were uh, in attendance and watching it, it's like uh, they come out and Ziegler hits that big three and you think, okay, all right, here we go. But Tolu just kind of said, you know what, this is my signature moment, you know, making his first start of the year. Let me get out here and make some things happen. And it just kind of felt like Tolu was a man on a mission. This is not just about him, himself elevating his NBA draft stock. This is a guy that's trying to carry this program forward. He came back, you know, not just for himself, but for all of us and for Mississippi State basketball. Rams Davis makes that three, and next thing you know, it just feels like, okay, State is in this thing. How long can it last? Well, it's still lasting. It is, all right? Uh, and the Bulldog defense, I really thought, right around, I guess, about a five-minute mark, you know, about five minutes are gone, it just felt like our defensive intensity really ramped up here. It just felt like every possession that Tennessee could not get a good look. Everything was contested. We're overplaying the wings a little bit. We're forcing the action outside. We're in people's face. We're denying the little easy pass. You know, they try to run the little weave at the top. And we're out there you know, reversing screens. It just, just, DJ Jeffries, I thought, was really a, a tone setter on defense for this team and did a lot of the grunt work, too. But you see a guy that long and that athletic up there just kind of getting in people's face and not letting them set up in the half court and forcing them to take some rush shots. Uh, you know, we get a steal here, we get a steal there. Next thing you know, Tennessee's turning the ball over. State takes the lead, you know, right around that five-minute mark, 10-8, and then you look up and you're like, wait a minute, are we really kind of pulling away from Tennessee? And we absolutely were. Uh, you know, Connect makes one basket here who was phenomenal. That Dalton Connect kid is legit. You talk about a portal transfer story. That guy makes Tennessee a much better team. I think he's a pro. That guy is absolutely phenomenal in the words of Ben Howland. But then next thing you know, you look up, and it's right around the six-minute mark. State is up 10 after a Josh Hubbard three-pointer. Is there a better freshman in the Southeastern Conference than Josh Hubbard? Well, you're going to be hard-pressed to find one. Josh Hubbard probably on pace to be a freshman All-American this year. If he has more games like he did uh, on Wednesday, I think we're going to see ourselves with a young man here that's going to have some tremendous opportunities uh, down the stretch. He's not a big guy, right? He's not. But uh, this is a guy that can create space for himself. Just one of those kind of guys, too, that just got just enough wiggle to free himself. And he doesn't need a lot of space. That release is so incredibly quick. But Josh was a big part of things. Uh, the guys, the lead swells to 15 points. And you're thinking, it's 33-18, and uh, we've taken a pretty good shot from those guys. Th things get a little ragged, okay, down the stretch here. Uh, Ziegler, who was phenomenal for them in the first half, really kind of carried them until the rest of the offense kind of came around. And it was really he and Connect uh, down the stretch. But, but uh, DJ with a heave just before the half. And then we give up a little uh, a little jumper 
uh, from them with about two seconds to go. But it's 13, and now all of a sudden there is belief and there is engagement with a pretty raucous crowd. Despite the fact that it wasn't a capacity crowd, those that were in attendance were loud. And I want to give our students a tremendous amount of credit. You all are the lifeblood of sporting events. There's a lot of other people that pay a lot more money to get into games than you do. And that should be the case. But the students are doing a phenomenal job creating a great atmosphere. And listen, not everybody's back yet. You know, school doesn't start until Tuesday. But a lot of people came on back. They're in town. you got apartments. You're not waiting for dorms to open. You, you come on home uh, to Starkville. And uh, you guys were part of a big night. And you deserve a lot of credit for that. And I don't know that you get enough credit for that. But I'm going to say it now. Thank you. On behalf of the entire Mississippi State fan base, to you students that show up and raise hell and make everybody else compete in a place that historically has been a very difficult place to compete when we're playing well. You guys are the reason for that. Your team feeds off your energy. The rest of the crowd feeds off your energy. And one critical thing I want to say, it's not, not directed to the students at all. Guys, can, can we eat our tickets before we sell them on StubHub to Tennessee fans? I mean, honest to goodness, the fact that we've got orange in the lower bowl, that's just unacceptable. If we want to have a big-time basketball program, we have to eliminate that. You've already spent the money long ago. and It's your life, it's your money, but can we think about other people a little bit? I had this rant during football season, too, and there's always that one or two people that, well, I'll do whatever I want to with my tickets. That, that's fine. Okay, what you're really saying is that we don't want a big-time basketball program. We don't want a big-time football program. We don't want that. Just so you can make a few bucks at everybody else's expense? I mean, come on, man. It's ridiculous. We shouldn't have all these Tennessee fans sitting in lower bowl. Period. Eat your tickets. And trust me, there's enough Mississippi State fans that want your tickets. You know, we got a ticket board over Gene's page. If you need to sell your ticket or you can go on one of those Facebook pages, Mississippi State Tickets, and you can sell those tickets to a Mississippi State person. And surely you know somebody from church or work or it's got a kid that'd love to come to a game. And again, you've already spent the money. I ran over. All right, we get into the second half, and uh, you know they'd make a run. They always do. They're a great team. They're not ranked number five in the country for just no reason. They come out and they get a jumper. and We, we trade baskets here a little bit with them. And, guys, when, when they went to this press, and they needed to, you know, because State had taken the lead back out to 14, Ziegler hits a three to kind of get them back in the mix there. But um, when, when they begin to go to this, this full corporate, we didn't handle it well. And, and I don't think we coached it well. Because as they began to make the run, it's like we kind of got caught up watching the game instead of coaching the game. So instead of calling a timeout, maybe calming things down, uh, we didn't, and all of a sudden you look up, it's back in single digits. And then Ziegler hits a uh, hits a, a three on the break there to make it a three-point game right, just under the 14-minute mark, and you start thinking, you know what, we've played so well, and we're fixing to blow this. That's how I felt. I'm sure many of you felt the same way. I know there's a few of you out there that have this whole don't-stop-believing mentality. But it really felt like this thing was about to get away from us. Dalton Connect hits a big three to cut it to two. And then what do you know? Josh Hubbard answers. Takes it back out to five. And then you, know, you, you, you 
you start trading baskets with them, you know, you're going to win if you've got a lead. But it just felt like we had no juice. And the next thing you know, it's back out to five. And it's 60-55, just under the eight-minute mark. It just, and that's just when Shaquille Moore made that very acrobatic layup, just kind of just beat, beat everybody to the spot, gets it up and in. And it felt like then, it's like, you know what, we have sustained this little run of theirs, and we deserve to win this basketball game. Tolu knocks down a couple free throws, and what do you know, it's connect again. And, you know, I don't know that Michael Jordan or Dennis Rodman could have shut that guy down. Uh, he was absolutely on fire down the stretch and just trying to will his team to a victory. Uh, connect actually cuts it to one and then pulls it even with 5.17 to go. I don't know how you felt, but I still felt we were okay. I felt, you know what, I don't think this one guy can beat us. I think defensively Christians will dial up some things and we'll find a way to deny him the basketball as best we can. We'll make somebody else beat us. But to give Connect some credit, he was up for the challenge. He absolutely was. Ties the game just, just above the four-minute mark. Tolu uh, makes a pair of a one of two free throws. And we're up one. And the next thing you know, Josh Hubbard, a guy that had a phenomenal game from beyond the arc, with the shot clock winding down, Josh gets loose and makes a layup. I mean, just as this, it's just one of those moments where you just kind of felt like, this is it. This is it. They've played good defense the entire possession, and we still find a way to get to the rim and get points. Put us up three. Uh, just under the three-minute mark, we get a stop defensively. Uh, Tolu with a little steal down here. They end up um, fouling us. Hubbard makes free throw. We miss one, make one. Ziegler comes down, tries to answer, and it misses. State ends up with the ball back. Tolu up and in. And you talk about a guy willing his team to victory. And granted, they had a smaller lineup on the floor, but when you go back and go back and look at that sequence, Tolu gets that ball on the block and then turns back into the lane, turns back on his right shoulder into the lane, and just muscles it up in traffic and gets it to the rim and in. Now, we missed a free throw. But it just kind of felt like that was the moment. That little sequence there, Hubbard with the shot clock winding down, gets the layup. And then we come back down, next thing you know, Tolu battling in the paint in many respects for his own legacy the big signature win and these are moments that are big now we did some silly things down the stretch here you can't let these guys score without the clock running and we made some silly fouls and listen I thought the officials were kind of back and forth but and it's one of those things when you lose people always blame the officials I thought the officials swallowed their whistle some and then at other times they were maybe a little bit in anticipating calls. I, I didn't think the officiating was great. I didn't think it was bad. Uh, but it's interesting, you know, sometimes in victory we don't talk about that. I thought there were some times that the officials got on a roll with Tennessee. Uh, there was one segment there in the middle, you know, just middle of the floor where um, we get run over in the backcourt. And um, we, they don't, we don't get a call. You know, it happened a lot. I didn't think officiating was great. I don't think it made a difference in the ball game. But I do think when Tennessee began to kind of exert their athleticism, the officials kind of got on a roll with them. Uh, but here we are. We've sustained all that. 
And now all of a sudden, you know, Tolu's like, okay, guys, y'all come along. Wasn't the fanciest play, wasn't the best finish, but it had an incredible result, an absolutely incredible result. Uh, but, you know, again, here we are, trying to close this thing out. That's exactly what we did. And uh, it's not that there wasn't a little nip and tuck down the stretch. Uh, there was. Uh, it's pretty crazy when you go back and look at all this stuff kind of in hindsight. It's so fun to talk about, you know, when you win. Uh, Cam Matthews not really lighting up the scoring column, but down the stretch. Cam Matthews, some big, big baskets for us. None bigger than that last one, but um, there was a little more anxiety to go. You guys may recall with with 34 seconds, Dalton Connect heaves one home to tie the game. And even with that, it felt like we were okay. It just kind of felt like we're going to be okay. Our Tolu makes, makes the uh, layup here and uh, misses the free throw we talked about. And then... Um, we got to make a stop on defense. Ziegler misses the three, and there's this mad scramble out there, and it's Dalton Connect that turns the ball over, you know, the hero. And then Rams Davis just kind of gets his hands on it and then hands it to Cam Matthews with the emphatic exclamation point on the dunk to put it away. And and that's a great way to end it. You go down there and, you know, Chris Jans' uh, calling card is defense. You make a great defensive stand. And you're able to get the exclamation point at the other end to kind of send the hump into hysterics. Great night. Great night. We talked about how Tennessee was kind of a two-man wrecking crew. Uh, Dalton Kanak with 28 points. uh, Zakay Ziegler with 26. Both played 37 minutes. And, and, you know, those guys are warriors. And uh, Ziegler kind of carried him in the first half, Kanak in the second half. And, And that's the thing you look about how dangerous this team could be. They get contributions from other people, especially in the post, and they had some foul trouble down there. They could be a dangerous team. But we found a way to get a dub, guys. Uh, 33 rebounds apiece. Pretty nuts. Tolu Smith with 23 points. Josh Hubbard off the bench with 25. The same could be said for Mississippi State that was said about Tennessee. You get some other contributions there. This could be a very dangerous team. Cam Matthews with eight points. And uh, five of those really in the final stretch. Made a free throw, had the big layup, and had the dunk. Rams Davis with five, DJ with just four. But, uh, again, you look at DJ's scoring numbers and you say, you know what, they weren't great. But we don't win that game without DJ Jeffries. I mean, the work that he did defensively on the glass, pulled down six defensive rebounds, had five steals, and played an incredible defense. Just kind of call it for what it is. But, uh, yeah, a great night at the hump. It's so interesting. You, you, the, the, the score was tied four times. The lead changed hands five times. I don't think anybody expected that. And, again, it's just that signature win. Now, all of a sudden, there is this incredible belief. And, and that, that's how we are. I mean, most people are like this. This is not an indictment on, um, on any, any one person in particular. But – our perception of our program is only based in many respects on the last ball game. We lose that tough game against South Carolina, a game that we absolutely should have won. I think it's when we're going to look back and say, you know what? Yeah, we should have won that game. But we were expecting to lose Tennessee. And if you had to make that pick, you take it every time. 
you take it if I'm gonna if I'm gonna split the first two, give me the top five win over Tennessee. So now Alabama, uh, Saturday, 7:30 p.m. We expect an incredible atmosphere. The students will all be back, or most will be back. Again, uh, you know, classes start back next week. We'll have some people begin moseying their way back to town. Uh, student tickets, I think, are the only ones available. And then we go to we go to Kentucky next Wednesday. But let's not put the car before the horse. You start thinking about you get this win against Alabama, and there's a, a, a belief not only in this team, but for those players and each other. And you got to go to Kentucky. Uh, it's always a tough place to play because you got to beat the officials. But if you go in there with a two and one win on a two game win streak, all of a sudden you start thinking maybe we're better than uh, than people realize. Now Alabama not having a midweek game. I guess that's not true. They played on Tuesday. My my bad. They destroyed South Carolina. Of course, they're two and zero in the conference. They they beat Vanderbilt in Nashville, seventy eight seventy five, and then destroyed South Carolina in Tuscaloosa. And now they'll head to the hump. Uh, so that's tomorrow night. If you've got tickets, please come. If you if you're not going to come, and you have tickets, please get those in the hands of a Mississippi State Bulldog. There's a ton of people out there looking for those tickets. There's a lot of Bulldogs out there that would need those tickets, would love those tickets. I got people hitting me up left and right looking for tickets. I don't have any tickets. I don't know if there's any tickets to be had. But, again, if you are a season ticket holder or you bought tickets in advance of this game and you can't make it, I'm going to encourage you to let's find a Bulldog to get those tickets too. Uh, Worst-case scenario, just eat the tickets. Let's please not have Alabama fans come in Humphrey Coliseum, sit in the lower bowl. They can sit up there at the top. We want a big-time basketball program. We got a big-time coach. Let's be a big-time fan base, too. All right, let's switch over to the women's side here. Uh, Interesting game, for sure. And like many of you, I thought, you know what, we're probably going to be probably going to be disappointed in our start going 0-3. And, uh, again, Arkansas, nice weekend for them. But Jessica Carter said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take over. I'm going to go up here and uh, exert myself and lead my team to victory. I think I read 35th double-double for Jessica Carter. In 31 minutes of action, 22 points, 19 rebounds, and then she had a block on Arkansas, I guess, uh, one of their last offensive possessions, a big block with seven seconds uh, to, uh, to knock away a game-tying field goal attempt. Jessica also 404 from the line, 9 of 16 from the floor. Uh, again, a couple blocks. And had four personal fouls. But out there kind of playing within herself late to make a play. Jaquelia Jordan, 17 points for her. Lauren Park Lane with 11. When State gets three ladies in double digits, it's tough to beat us. It really is. The pressure Poe, the pressure Poe was uh, six points, one of five from beyond the arc. State is two of 14. we got to get that perimeter game going. Uh, we do. There's no There's no if, ands, or buts about it. We have to get the perimeter game going. And if Arkansas had any semblance of a perimeter game last night, uh, they may win. They were 10 of 38. They jacked up 38 three-pointers. Well, of course, that, that, that lends itself to a lot of long rebounds. But if, if they're shooting a decent percentage there, it's probably a different story today. But, uh, you know, again, good night for the Bulldogs. 8 of 23 
uh, in the first quarter uh, for the Bulldogs. We came out chucking it too. Uh, 0 of 5 from beyond the arc. And again, the state just 2 of 14. In the second half, though, especially in that fourth quarter, really kind of played more ball control type stuff. Uh, 6 of 14 from the field. Wasn't a great shooting night for us, just 38.4%. Uh, and then we held them to 30.9%. They were very good from the free throw line. We were okay. We rated 10. But you look at this team, you look at this game, and you begin to think, okay, to get a road win in this league is extremely significant. Extremely significant. There's absolutely no question about it. It's just one of those things when you begin to kind of work this thing down. When you're a team that's expected to be good, you got to go pick up some wins on the road. And, yeah, it was uh, Jessica Carter with seven seconds left. State's up 65-63 after a pair of Lauren Park Lane free throws. Arkansas comes down, gets to the lane, and Jessica Carter with the big block there. And uh, they end up having a foul. And um, Poe makes a free throw to make it a 66-63 game. But, uh, again, great win for Coach Sam Purcell and his ladies, our ladies, our team. We, we simply couldn't go 0-4. And uh, big ball game coming up with Ole Miss in Starkville Sunday, 4 o'clock. We're going to need you there. Ole Miss nearly gets beat last night. A huge collapse for them there in the fourth quarter. I don't know if you've kept up with this at all. Uh, but, um, yeah, it seemed like Ole Miss was just going to cruise. Then all of a sudden you look up and Johnny Harris's ladies are fighting hard and trying to find a way to – to climb back into this ball game, and they do. They just couldn't finish. And uh, that, that's kind of how life is in the Southeastern Conference. When you have those opportunities, uh, you got to get things done. But uh, Ole Miss 58-55 winners. And uh, just to kind of get a little bit deeper into this thing, Auburn outscored Ole Miss 21-9 in the final quarter. Let that sink in for a second. I mean, you just kind of run along here, and, and Ole Miss just kind of methodically putting the, – they're up four after the end of one. They're up six at the break. So it's a ball game. And then in that third quarter, Ole Miss, 22-13 advantage. You think the game is done, but no. And uh, Johnny Harris and the Auburn Tigers, 11-5, 0-3 in the league, uh, probably coaching for her job. But uh, would have been a big night if they pulled this thing off in the pavilion. And so now those Rebels come to, uh, to Humphrey Coliseum. And so, again, an appeal to you students, uh, we need you to be Egg Bowl ready for this ballgame. This is a game Mississippi State needs, needs to win. And begin you start thinking about, hey, if we can get a split in these first four ball games, considering how difficult our schedule's been, uh, we can feel pretty good about the rest of our slate. And so this is where we need – Again, everybody to be there, but uh, you students especially, we need you both nights. We need you to, you know, go out Saturday. Let's beat Alabama. You guys go enjoy some time in the Cotton District, get some rest, and come back. And you can even sleep till noon if you want to on Sunday. We'd like for you to get up and go to church, but we're not going to insist you do that. Uh, because tip-off is 4 p.m. So you got plenty of time to rest, get you some Pedialyte, Refresh yourself, get you a shower, shave a little bit, and uh, and come on out and support the Bulldogs. So, huge basketball weekend in Sargville this weekend, and uh, we need everybody that can be there to be.
What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. All right, time for today's top 10 list. It's always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair Chandler, a mortgage professional, my friend, your friend in the mortgage industry. And there's a lot of you that have uh, needs. You know your needs better than I do. But here's the deal. No matter what your issues are, Blair Chandler is a solutions guy. That's one of the things when when I get into a business situation, I say, hey, let me get on the phone with a difference maker. That's what Blair Chandler can be for you, a difference maker. 22 years of experience in this industry. Back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, top 1% close ratio in the country. Not just in Tutwiler, not just in Tallahatchie or Towertown. We're talking national. This guy's a closer. This is a big-time guy. Put Blair Chandler to work for you today. We're looking to buy a home, refinance your home. I don't know your needs. He will know how to help you navigate through all of that. Give them a call or text today at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. Let him know you heard about him on the barnyard. You might just get a little uh, little bit better service, you know. You might be able to do that, right? So let him know. Okay, we talked about this on uh, on Wednesday. I, I kind of teased it. You know, we did the top 40, uh, the top 10, top 40 songs that are turning 40 this year. That's a lot to say pop songs and uh, a legendary list this is this is one too again the year 84 an incredible year in rock music and music in general in american music mtv was really uh, we, we weren't at our peak or our zenith yet but mtv was really becoming a thing and so you had these videos and everybody that that became the new medium in order to sell records is you had to be on mtv used to you had to be on the radio then you had to be on MTV. And so it ushered in a different era of music. Image became a much bigger thing because people wanted to be memorable. Even if the videos themselves were not high-budget flicks, Image became a big thing because of the fact that people were like, hey, what's that band with this? You know. And then everybody kind of came cookie-cutter. The Image got a little bit bloated. But a legendary year in rock music. And so we got a few honorable mentions today. We got Dawkins' Tooth and Nail, which uh, is a great album. The production value in the original recordings of that album, not great. The song's amazing. 
The remastered versions sound okay, but uh, it was still an analog-type operation back then, and uh, the record company didn't put a ton of rec- money behind this record. Even though Breaking a Chains from Dokken had, had been a hit, it wasn't a huge hit. It was a radio hit. But uh, Tooth and Nail, probably Dokken's heaviest album in many respects. We're going to throw them an honorable mention today. Kisses Analyze, also out that year, with Heavens on Fire kind of being the lead track on that. Uh, Kiss was really just kind of coming back into their own. They were perfect for MTV. Sammy Hagar's uh, VOA with I Can't Drive 55. That was a big hit. Sammy Hagar kind of became a thing because of this song. Sammy already had had a big career, but a new generation of fans found out about Sammy Hagar. Little did we know, he ends up uh, you know, being lead singer, Van Halen. Brian Adams' Reckless was out, even though it's, re- it's rock radio friendly. We're going to give him a tip. I've got that album on vinyl. A lot of hits on that one. No doubt about it. Uh, Then Deep Purple's Perfect Strangers came out that year. uh, Knocking at your back door. All right, so here's your top top ten. And you think, Steve, those are some classic albums there. What could possibly be in the top ten? We'll just wait. All right, number ten, the great album Defenders of the Faith from Judas Priest. We're going number ten here. Some heads are going to roll. And students, I'm talking to you this weekend. We're not gonna, we're not gonna elicit violence, but we need a violent atmosphere in those stands for sure. Nobody hit each other, but we need an absolute incredible environment all weekend long. But some heads are gonna roll from Judas Priest, of course. Uh, you know, Priest was really just beginning to rise. Of course, they they'd had British Steel and things of that nature. And so a lot, of, a lot of true rock fans knew who they were. But uh, Defenders of the Faith, too, an incredible album cover. Because as, as music began to change, you know, these album covers became works of art. It wasn't just, let's just go put a, a photo of the band on here. And uh, that was really the case for Defenders of the Faith. Pretty, pretty incredible-looking album cover. Uh, and, again, a classic rock band in many respects. It was really kind of finding a new sense of itself. All right, number nine, a band we talked about a little bit on uh, on Wednesday. It's Foreigner. Great track. That was yesterday. Uh, this album was number one in the UK, a top five hit in the United States. A huge hit. I mean, just one of those albums. You know, we talk about four. We talk about head games. But Agent Provocateur, in many respects, was kind of the, the, the shining moment for Foreigner. And that's a band that had a bunch of them. But that was yesterday, probably the most rocking song on that track. Great single. It was a follow-up to I Want to Know What Love Is. Number eight. Roy will have to figure this out because I wrote it down wrong. But Power Slave from Iron Maiden came out in 84. Were you aware of that? Yeah. Talk about great album covers. Talk about bands that have stood the test of time. It's Iron Maiden, baby. We're going aces high. Could have gone a lot of different directions here. We could have gone with the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, but it's it, that's actually a cover. You say, but Steve, no, it is. They took a poem, made a song out of it. They didn't write the lyrics for it. It's verbatim. We, most of you learn that in British literature. Iron Maiden set it to music. But uh, we're going to go with aces high off Power Slave for our list today. Number seven, kind of go back into the uh, rock radio arena here. Journey was on hiatus, and uh, they reformed, of course, and did the Raised on Radio a little bit later, but Steve Perry had a solo album called Street Talk, and man, you could not go anywhere 
without hearing the song Oh Sherry. That's going to be our number seven track today. Incredibly beautiful. She was Steve Perry's girlfriend. She appears in the video. The song's written about her. And uh, he talks about our love holds on. Turns out it didn't. Still a great song. Number six. I think I think next time I do karaoke, I'm doing this song. I think so. It's when I got to take it from Twisted Sister. They were absolutely perfect for MTV. You had Dee Snyder up there with that incredible look. He looked like something out of the Flintstones. His big hair, wearing the kind of like Kiss uh, Pawn Shop Kiss, almost in many respects, right? But there were these songs of defiance. And, def- and, and Twisted Sister had been around, but they became mega superstars with the album Stay Hungry. This is not just I want to rock and we're not going to take it. The album has some depth to it. And uh, so maybe if you hadn't listened to that in a while, you should. But we're not going to take it. You know, a song of In Your Face. And there were so many people. I, I remember, I guess it was in this sense. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get messages about this. When we bombed Iran... We played the song. There are a few other military exercises that we played this song as part of our, uh, you know, campaign. Number five, while this band was still, this was the first big album, okay? You had Kill 'em All, we're talking Metallica. They came out on Metal Metal, Metal Force Records in 83. They came right back. With with uh, ride the lightning, and a lot of people say, okay, that's that's the big break. Too. I disagree. I think Master of Puppets. I think that's when Metallica truly arrived, and of course they were kind of you know kind of big on their own, you know, kind of cult of personality, not wanting to do videos, not wanting to do these big corporate tours. Uh, they wanted to be a blue collar band. They were from Frisco. They were so very much anti LA scene. And so they were trying to kind of be the antithesis of everything that was happening in Hollywood. Could go a lot of different directions here, but we're going to go with a song that's very, very important to Mississippi State fans. You guys know it every time you go to a Davis Wade Stadium football game, it's For Whom the Bell Tolls, a song that fits us perfectly. Number four, and uh, I'm going to champion this band every chance I get. And yes, I have them ahead of uh, Metallica. I have them ahead of... Iron Maiden, because this album was better. Now, you may disagree, and I'm perfectly okay with you being wrong. A lot of people love Whitesnake because of uh, Here I Go Again and the self-titled album that came out in 87. I submit to you the best Whitesnake album came out in 84 before many of you knew who they were. Now, to be fair, I had seen... Some videos with White Snake on MTV, you know, like kind of late at night. So I was somewhat exposed to it. But the first White Snake album that I bought was the self-titled album, which is classic. And then I went back and I got slow and easy. Uh, no, excuse me, Slide It In. Our song is slow and easy from Slide It In. But Slide It In, to me, is the best White Snake album as I fumble through that whole presentation. So many great tracks on there. And again, kind of like the Doc and Toot the Nail thing. If they had mastered this album the way they did, Slip of the Tongue and, and the self-titled album, I think many people would look at that and say, you know what? 
this truly is the best album. But you know, give me just a little more time. There's so many great tracks on here. I love it from start to finish. But Slow and Easy is uh, one of those just absolutely anthemic rock songs. If you've ever heard them play it live, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's the whole clapping, and the crowd's really into it. It's a highlight of the set list when David uh, puts it on there. But Slow and Easy from White Snake, number four. Number three, uh, shout out to the homie Sam Denton. He'll be pumped about this. In many respects, this was a gateway song for us. It's the great album out of the cellar, and it's ironic that uh, you know Tiny Katane, of course, married David Coverdale from Whitesnake. Well, the first time that we saw her when she wasn't in a motion picture was on the cover of the Rat EP and on the cover of Rats Out of the Cellar. Yeah, that's her, Tawny Katane, who was uh, dating Robin Crosby at the time. Interesting young lady, for sure. And um, I don't know if I've, ever, I don't know if I've shared this with you guys. Maybe I have. I'm certain I have at some point. I actually had some uh, interaction with Tony Katane on social media uh, about recovery. She was very, she was in and out of recovery for a while, and uh, she went on a rant one night on Twitter about AA. And uh, believe it or not, I messaged her, and she responded. And um, I won't say that we became friends, but we became people that interacted. And uh, she ended up following me on Instagram, which is, you know, 16-year-old me would be through the roof. And I can tell you, uh, I guess I was 48, 49 at the time. Uh, that guy was really excited too. But um, she was in many respects kind of a tortured soul. And I think there were some people in her life that really didn't want her to get sober. I think there were some people around her that um, were kind of happy where she was. You know, all of a sudden when she got sober and kind of figured out some things weren't uh, as they should be, she began to ask questions. and um, But, you know, we lost her. We lost an, an icon. We lost, um, you know, and uh, she used to think she wasn't a great actress. And um, it's so interesting. You know, she was in Bachelor Party and Witchboard and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it was a pretty surreal moment uh, to have some interaction with her. And it did make me really sad when she died. Not just because of the fact that we had lost, you know, a video vixen. But uh, I think at the end of her life, things were really sad. So we'll celebrate her today. But, um, yeah, she dated Robin Crosby. And um, and then he died, of course. And then, you know, there's a lot that happened in her life, too. I, I didn't plan on telling that story today. But uh, round and round, I remember being in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. I had seen the video, and I remember being down there hanging out. My dad used to give us a condo out there in Fort Walton, and we'd go out there. At Allen Echoes, and, and we were like the, the we were the happiest teenagers in the world, man. To be out there, to be on the beach, to be you know to be a kid, you know, getting a chance to go do something super cool, and other teenagers around. There was this one guy that had this huge boombox, and it's like he'd be, he goes something tells me rats on the radio, and so we, we would like we didn't have a tape at the time, and we just scroll through and and oh we couldn't find it, and then ten minutes later we go back rats on the radio. That's kind of how Round and Round was. Round and Round, when it hit the scene, it kind of galvanized people like, okay, well, this is something cool here, right? And they were a pretty polished product by the time they got to the Out of the Cellar album. You go back and listen to the EP, you know, just got back for more and uh, Walking the Dog and things like that. I like the EP, but it is very raunchy, right? It's just, it's very raw in its development. But Out of the Cellar, you can tell that Atlantic put some money behind them. And uh, it was a pretty incredible album. Bo Hill, of course, produced all the great Rat albums. 
But around and around, the number three rock song of 84 for me. Uh, number two, and again, a gateway song for many of us, even though this band had had a ton of success in uh, Europe, it wasn't until they showed up on MTV with Rocky Like a Hurricane that we didn't even know who the Scorpions were, right? Absolutely phenomenal band, one of my favorite bands of all time. I think the thing about the Scorps is you can kind of start at uh, you know, Love at First Sting, and uh, you can just put on any album and listen to it in its entirety and feel like you gained something. Uh, Savage Amusement is one of my favorite albums from them. But uh, again, the Gateway track, the one that really kind of galvanized people. And of course, you still hear it. It's one of those songs they play in sports arenas. It's rocky like a hurricane. And uh, I, I can't get over, you know, Matthias Jobs and and, uh, and Rudy Schenker. And I've seen the Scorps live, and I can tell you it, it is a phenomenal experience, man. It really is. If you get a chance to go see the Scorpions live, you, you got to go do it. All right, number one for me, and I think most of you would agree, the only number one hit ever for Van Halen was the lead single off the album, 1984. How ironic is that? My mom didn't want me to buy that album. She didn't like the cover. So when I bought it, I had to hide it. Bought it on cassette. Matter of fact, our preacher's sons did the same thing. They bought it on cassette and hid it from their dad. You know an album has to be great when kids are willing to buy it and hide it from their parents. Because back, I grew up in the era, young people, when people wanted to burn your records. And that if you listened to things that maybe had a guitar solo, people thought you were a devil worshiper. If you wore your hair up over your collar, you were a hood. That's what people called us back then. Oh, he's a hood. There's always been something, right? There's always been something. But uh, Van Halen's 84, every album... From Van Halen is phenomenal, especially in the DLR years. Diver Down's probably a little bit fluffy at times because of all the covers. But um, 84, a triumphant record. It went diamond. But every song on the album sounds like a single. And Jump is actually probably in the bottom half of my favorite songs on this album. But how, you can't mention this album without mentioning Jump because of the fact, again, it's the, the only number one single in Van Halen history. But this is one of those albums, and I'm speaking to you young people. If you have never listened to this album in its entirety, you have done a disservice to yourself. And I know many of you, your parents failed you when it came to rock music. I, I know this. I, I understand the cross that I have to bear for all of you, be, kind of being your stepfather in many respects, to kind of bring you along this thing with music. But there are a few albums out there that sometimes I'm going to insist that you listen to from start to finish. This is one of them. You're going to know the hits. You're going to know Jump and Panama and I'll Wait. You're going to know those. But then all of a sudden you're going to get in a Drop Dead Legs. You're going to get in a Top Jimmy. And all of a sudden you're going to think, where has this been my whole life? Because this is one of those albums too where Eddie Van Halen just was absolutely a maestro. And a lot of people don't know this, but uh, Eddie and Alex Van Halen Really, you know, because their their family came uh, from Europe, I believe it was Austria, the name Van Halen, right? But they show up over here, and uh, they were both taking lessons to be classic pianists. And then all of a sudden, they ran across the Dave Clark Five, they got into rock music and Elvis Presley and things like that. And uh, so Eddie actually got a drum kit. He had to go out and um, 
raise money himself and cut grass and rake yards and do the newspaper route and uh, to help have some seed money. And he bought drums, and then they bought a guitar for Alex, and Alex got flamenco guitar lessons. And then um, Alex would rather play the drums, and so Eddie said he'd come home some days, and Alex was playing his drums, and he got better than him, so they just switched out. I would say it worked out well for everybody, not just them, but for all of us. But I love everything Van Halen's done. I can even get down with the Gary Sharon Van Halen 3 album. But when you think about Van Halen 1 all the way up to 84, you begin to kind of realize what Eddie Van Halen and David Lee Roth, Michael Anthony, and Alex Van Halen meant to American rock music, to the world's rock music. So we celebrate them today as our number one album and band from 1984, Van Halen's Jump. And uh, thanks so much for your support of of the Boneyard and the Top 10 list. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out and let us know. We're happy to jump on that for you. You never know. Sometimes you guys ask for bands that I'm not really well-versed in, and so I don't do them. It's no disrespect to you. I don't want to disrespect your band, and I don't want to disrespect you. Um, and so when you do send those bands, maybe give me a couple of ideas, because I'll listen to them. I do. When, like, when I'm sitting here working and kind of doing research for the new book, I'll put on a new band and I'll kind of just let, let it play in the background. I'm like, hey, this is pretty good, or I don't like it. Sometimes I get two or three songs into it, and I have a quick gong. Like, I'm not going to sit there and listen to a bad album in its entirety. Uh, but uh, if you do have recommendations, please send them along. Best way to do that is to hit up Roy on Twitter at Dogmatic67. If you don't do Twitter, you can find he and I both on Facebook. Uh, I'm on all forms of social media, at Scout Steve R. If you're not following me on Twitter, what are you doing with your life? Uh, but again, thanks always to Roy for putting these things together. You know, Roy's working uh, a lot more extensively these days. So sometimes the list a little bit later, given getting up, he does get them up. And I know that many of you appreciate that. We do put them on Spotify, and you can find them on Roy's handle at Dogmatic67. Uh, All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmark, a Starkvillian institution, a company that has been serving this community and this fan base for a long, long time. Go by and see their smiling faces next time you're in town. Very easy to get to. Turn off 182 right there at the Trooper Station. Don't speed. Follow that route on around like going to campus right there on the left-hand side. Just before you get to campus, this campus bookmark. You can pop in there, pick up some new Mississippi State merch, wear your new wares to the ballgame. All of you heading to town this weekend, run in there to campus bookmark. Get your Mississippi State basketball shirt. Really rep the brand. We need a lot of maroon in the crowd. Go get some fresh maroon threads at Campus Bookmark. If you can't make it to town, or perhaps you live in the mission field outside of Mississippi, because you know we are God's country, uh, visit them online at campusbookmark.net. And by being a Lawyer Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bones, absolutely incomplete. All right. We knew it was a matter of time. And uh, there are a lot of people out there that say, you know, the NCAA is not going to do anything about NIL. Well, they did yesterday. I don't know if you've uh, kept up with it at all. But uh, Florida State now on probation for NIL discrepancies. Were you aware of this? All right, well, let me bring you up to date in case that you you missed it. 
There was a negotiated resolution between Florida State and NCAA. Now you say, Steve, what's a negotiated resolution? It's basically the same principle that we went through with the Tudorgate scandal. We said, you know what? We just kind of throw our mercy on the court here. Yes, this happened. And rather than go before the Committee on Infractions and have some big elongated process, we're just going to go ahead and negotiate some sanctions here. All right? So let me kind of bring you up to speed here on this Florida State thing. And I've read some people like, oh, Florida State's just going to sue. It, 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 there's no sue. It's, it's a negotiation. They've agreed to the sanctions. There is no legal recourse here. A Florida State assistant football coach violated NCAA rules when he facilitated an impermissible recruiting contact between a transfer prospect and a booster, according to an agreement released by the Division I Committee on Infractions. During that contact, the booster encouraged a prospect to enroll at Florida State and offered a name, image, and likeness deal as a recruiting inducement. The assistant coach then violated ethical conduct rules when he provided false or misleading information about his involvement in the arranged meeting. Dear, I'm going to skip down a little bit here. Uh, during the meeting, the booster encouraged a prospect to enroll at Florida State and offered him an opportunity worth approximately $15,000 per month during his first year at school. After the meeting, the booster contacted the prospect with the prospect's mother via text message and or phone call. Shortly thereafter, the prospect withdrew his name from the transfer portal and remained at his previous school. The prospect did not enter into an agreement with the booster or receive any related compensation. So basically what has happened here is that there was a player in the portal. And now if you, there's some rumors out there that he wasn't in the portal when this contact first began, that this young man was encouraged to go in the portal and then a coach facilitated an arrangement for the booster and the prospect and his family to have contact in hopes of inducing him to attend Florida State University. $15,000 a month. And then ultimately the guy withdrew from the portal and stayed at his school. Now you can find some rumors out there about who the player is. We're not going to speculate on that. Uh, the school and the enforcement staff agreed that the meeting with the booster violated several recruiting rules. Specifically, the meeting constituted an impermissible recruiting contact because boosters are not authorized recruiters and generally cannot have in-person, off-campus contact with prospects. The booster also violated recruiting rules when he initiated telephonic communication with the prospect and his mother, additionally, the boosters proposed an opportunity constituted an impermissible recruiting inducement. So basically, Florida State's been using NIL to recruit. Now, everybody has in some respects, but this should be a warning shot for many people. So some would suggest, okay, Steve, okay, this is not a big deal. No, no it is a big deal. And uh, so if you don't think it's a big deal, let's talk about these sanctions. Florida State now on two years probation. A two-year show cause order has been given for the assistant coach, and he will be suspended from three regular season games and have a two-week restriction on, on, on recruiting communication and required attendance at the NCAA Regional Rules Seminar attendance. A restriction from off-campus recruiting during 2000, the fall of 2023 for the assistant coach, so he hadn't been able to recruit uh, this past fall, a three-year disassociation from the booster, a one-year disassociation from the collective. How about that? A $5,000 uh, fine plus 1% in the football budget, a 5% reduction in scholarships over the two-year period, uh, amounting to a total reduction of five scholarships. 
A reduction in official visits in the football program in the 2003-2004 academic year by seven. The school also will not roll over six unused official visits from the 2022-23 academic year. A reduction in football recruiting communications for a total of six weeks during the 2023-2024 and 24-25 academic years. A reduction in the number of in-person recruiting days during the 2003-2004 academic year by six evaluation days and 18 during the spring of 2024. That's a pretty significant penalty in and of itself. So if you sit back and say it's a slap on the wrist, no, it's not a slap on the wrist. And this is just one instance where a coach facilitated a relationship between a donor and a recruit, and it was money offered. And if you think this is the only instance of this, you're kidding yourselves. But now we've got a major school that has been caught up in this. And so what does this mean going forward? Well, I think, number one, you look at it and begin to think, all right, well, you've got to have everything dressed up here. But there was all this discussion about how, you know, schools should be involved with NIL, and I think in many respects they should be, but the rules say that you can't be. And here's a coach, a member of the staff, facilitating this relationship. And they got caught. And you know as well as I do, somebody out there, you probably can hear the rain just absolutely pouring here in Starkville. Um, so now, now we've got a, a precedent that's been set and there are a lot of people out there, it's so interesting that um, a lot of people have these strong opinions about what a NIL should be and what it shouldn't be. Uh, what, what's happening now is just simply not sustainable. And I think a lot of people have just kind of said, you know what, we'll just do whatever we want to. It's a wild, wild west, and we'll be able to get away with it. Uh, that doesn't appear to be the case. And it wasn't like that they went out and got Florida A&M. They got Florida State. You know, Florida State, of course, uh, you know, a team that went undefeated, won the ACC this year. Mike Norvell is a guy, obviously, whose uh, star is ascending. And now they're on probation. And you begin to wonder, what does this mean, you know, for his candidacy for the Alabama job? Well, I don't know. You know, he was not cited in the report. Matter of fact, uh, it was one of the things that we read last night is that uh, uh, they said Norvell did promote a, a atmosphere of compliance, so it shouldn't impact him. But Florida State, in many respects, is a destination job. A lot of people have mentioned him in connection with Alabama, how he would be a home run. Uh, Norvell, you know, listen, needed a big year this year. Let's kind of call it for what it is. And uh, speaking of the Alabama job, everywhere I go, people are like, well, you know, who's going to get the Alabama job? Guys, I don't know. I don't know. But I will tell you this, when, when everybody was saying it was Dan Landing, the first thing that I thought of, of all the years of covering these coaching searches, I said, it's probably not going to be Dan Landing. Probably not going to be Dan Landing. It's never the first name. The only time in my career that it's been the first name is when State hired Todd Grantham to be the defensive coordinator. That's the only time in my career it's ever happened. It's never the first name. It's just not. And so now there's all these discussions about who it could be. I don't think it's Lane Kiffin. I said that on Wednesday's show. And a lot of people are like, are kind of hoping that's the case. I think Lane Kiffin is at Ole Miss until they fire him. That, that's my honest opinion. And, and that's probably years down the road. I think Lane Kiffin, you, you might as well learn to deal with him because I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, now, I may, you know, may wake up Sunday morning and feel completely different. But I, I don't think Lane Kiffin gets that job. There's been some people over the years that have said, oh, well, Kiffin will just go to Alabama as soon as it's open. There are a lot of people closely connected to Alabama uh, that have said that they don't ever think that's going to happen. Did Lane burn some bridges with some important people there? Now, the flip side of that is if you look at it from an objective standpoint, 
Let's take that. Let's be a principles before personalities type individual, right? If you're Alabama, would you not look at Lane Kiffin? I think you would. I think you'd have to set ego aside and say, you know what, this is what's best for our football program. It could be trouble. Who knows? But I don't think it's going to happen. I know that's a, a popular narrative in Mississippi right now. A lot of Mississippi State fans would say, hey, I'd love for him to go because you want to see chaos at Ole Miss, especially here at the end. You know, it's all crazy how it's all coming together. But uh, I don't think it's going to be Lane Kiffin. I don't know who it's going to be, but I do think that uh, it's going to be interesting because whoever they get, they're not going to hire a coordinator. I think that's probably a fair assessment. Alabama, just not a program historically that's going out and hired coordinators, right? I mean, Alabama's Alabama. Alabama should be able to go out and get a sitting Power 5 head coach. There's not many jobs in the country better than Alabama. Uh, people talk about Steve Sarkeesian. They go, Sark would be a slam dunk. I mean, is, is Sark going to leave Texas? Texas has the biggest budget in all of college athletics, I don't know if you knew that. They have the highest budget in the NCAA. So Texas can obviously pay him, right? And I don't think Texas is going to live with that. Hey, we're not going to lose. We finally are. We feel like we're back. You know, we feel like we've done some amazing things. So, no, we're not going to let our guy leave after, after the wilderness in which we have now navigated the last several years, uh, in the years since, uh, you know, Mac Brown left. Yeah, it's a difficult deal. But uh, you, you know as well as I do, Alabama will hire somebody and then there'll be an opening somewhere else. And that, that, what a tough time to hire a football coach. It's crazy to think about that. And so there will be a ripple effect around college football. I mean, you never know. We, we may lose an assistant coach. Who knows? We could be affected by this too. And, of course, Jeff Levy, you know, prepared to go. Many to win. This wind is tough. This wind is really, really tough. I hope you guys are safe. I really do. I mean, just looking out here watching this whole thing unfold now, they prepared us that it was going to be tough this weekend, and it's going to be cold. But um, heavy rain, for sure, and winds in Stark Vegas right now. Uh, but, yeah, the whole thing with Nick Saban is obviously fascinating because it's uh, it's an iconic figure in our sport. Uh, they're just hanging it up. And you don't see the greatest coach of all time leave and see that program get better but, you know, Alabama's used to competing. They're not, they are not they don't want to go through Mike Shula 2.0. And so they're going to make a very safe and make a big splashy hire, in my estimation. And so then somebody else will have to hire a football coach. You know, and so it's all so crazy, too, right here at the uh, in beginning of, of spring classes. And then all of a sudden you've got the, you know, the traditional February signing date. That's not what it once was, you know, because of everybody signs in December. But, uh, you know, again, you've got now the Alabama players have 30-day window to go in a portal. And so now there's going to be some fresh names from a Blue Blood program that may go into the the portal. Well, then the next coach that takes Alabama, if he's a head coach, then all of a sudden then their players will have a 30-day. So you, you may be working through this portal thing for weeks to come. But it's going to be – kind of a fruit basket turnover for a while you know and it's like when we're not involved i love chaos i I like to see chaos everywhere else but we could be a situation where there is this elongated portal transfer thing right because guys can go into portal but you know you still got the drop ad date to deal with and so it's just going to be interesting to see how this whole thing plays out because you typically don't see a coaching change this late right now what's interesting too i wrote about this yesterday 
Daniel Hill, of course, from Meridian announced for Alabama last Saturday. Wasn't a big surprise. It was a disappointment for Mississippi State fans. And then people bring up, well, Steve, now that this has happened, uh, could he leave? Now, Daniel Hill, of course, was uh, set to be an early enrollment guy. Memory serves me correct. Well, it just so happens that the day that Nick Saban retired was the first day of spring classes at Alabama. And don't think for a second that's a coincidence. Because players that sign the national letter of intent, once they enroll, they are bound. And you could say, but Steve, they're always bound. Well, last year, the NIL, not the NCAA, the NCAA doesn't govern NIL. NIL is its own entity. The National Letter of Intent organization last year said that in the event that a player has not enrolled for an academic term, if there is a coaching change, they can then ask for a release and the school must grant it. Maybe you didn't know that, but it's true. Used to, and, and the reason that rule got put into place is because you'd have guys that would sign their National Letter of Intent, then their coach get fired, then they're stuck. And so they said, hey, you know what, there's some uh, – there's some wiggle room here with all of this, and there may be situations where schools are not acting with scruples and say, we're going to wait till after signing day, and then we're going to fire a coach. It's a little different dynamic these days, but you, you kind of understand they don't want young people to be trapped in a situation with a, you know, with a coaching staff that is left and new coaches that may come in they don't have a relationship with that perhaps they run a different scheme offensively and defensively that doesn't lend itself to their skill set. And so they put that rule in last year. And so if Daniel Hill didn't attend class or didn't enroll for classes for the spring, then he can get out of it. Now, if he did enroll for classes, he can still get out. He'd have to go into the portal. Now, the question is, well, you know, why would a young person one or two days into this thing elect to go into the portal and use their one-time transfer exception. Well, you know, I don't know if it's going to be a one-time transfer exception moving forward or not. But I think it's pretty smart by Alabama, and I don't think it's coincidence. Some other people say, oh, Steve, you're making a big deal out of nothing. No, I, I think everything that Nick Saban and Greg Byrne have done is always very calculating. Greg Byrne is a brilliant individual. And I'm sure it's one thing. Somebody somewhere said, okay, well, hey, coach is going to hang it up. Okay, well, let's. when do we want to announce that? Well, do we want to do it? Raff for the game. If we lose, we do it the next day. I'm sure somebody spoke up and said, hey, you know what? We got uh, early enrollment guys going to be here for the first day of class. Let's wait. Don't think that that, didn't, that conversation didn't happen. And, and even if somebody comes out and denies it, I won't believe it. I think it's one of those things that said, you know what? We're going to protect our class. We're going to protect our football program moving forward. We're not going to have all this chaotic activity and have a new coach come in and then have to like scurry here in the last couple of weeks to try to replace these players more times than not, maybe you can't get. Right? I think it's important to understand. So the Daniel Hill situation, yes, he could get out of Alabama if he chose to. Uh, but it's not as simple as just asking for a release if he did enroll as expected uh, in January. That's always significant. Now, all the guys that, uh, that signed their are spring – or excuse me, spring graduates, those guys can get out of their NIL. All they have to do is send an email that said, I want to release, and the school has to give it to them. Just not sure how likely all that's going to be. But there, there could be some ebb and flow with all that. So, But again, the portal chaos is what I'm interested to see, right?
but in addition to that, too, there's there's reports now. We had a little bit of a power outage, okay, just so you guys know. So I'm kind of getting back up to speed here. We had a power outage here uh, at the house, and it uh, looks like that the weather has cleared, but it is uh, getting awfully cold. We can deal with the cold, uh, the tornadic activity is what we're not a fan of. But, uh, yeah, so we had a, a power outage. Since that time, there are reports out there that Steve Sarkeesian is uh, agreeing to terms on a contract extension with Texas, and that Mike Norvell is doing the same with uh, Florida State. And so that's interesting. So does that mean that uh, Kellen DeBoer is about to be the uh, head coach of Alabama? What does it mean? You know, there was some discussion. You know, our Matt Zenich reported that um, Alabama could have a coach within the first 72 hours of their search. And you got to know that Burns not going to get caught flat-footed. You guys know that from his time here. I mean, Greg is a guy that's always got a short list. Uh, I've ta- had somebody tell me yesterday, Greg always has a list of 10 names. Always. In every sport. That he's just kind of got to has that top drawer list, uh, the little short list always available to him. So, But, yeah, so I, I don't think this is going to be an elongated search. But uh, I think the, the ripple effect could be – Awfully interesting uh, for some time. Make it awfully interesting for all of us, for sure. All right, let's thank our friends at the Stark Vegas Clubhouse. Uh, my friends, so my friends stayed there earlier this week, and uh, they were in town doing some business, and that's the thing too, man. If you're in town doing business, instead of getting a hotel room, how about getting a place where everybody can, can just kind of stay? And the cool thing was is I uh, went out there, hung for a little while, uh, brought them some, uh, some pie, you know, the wife made, we sat around in the communal areas and just kind of had a good time. Other people kind of got tired of talking to us. They went outside. There were some enjoying some adult beverages. They were able to have their area. I was not. Had our own area. So it's a house, guys. It's a huge, huge, huge uh, clubhouse. And it's not just something that um, is like your traditional like Airbnb type thing. So if you're bringing a big family or a big group to town for a ball game weekend or perhaps a work event, this is the way to go. Rather than going out there and leasing five hotel rooms, get the house. There's some work areas you can guys be together. There is the uh, the wet bar. Of course, that great fire pit area out in the back. It just makes good sense. So Google Stark Vegas Clubhouse, and you can see their Facebook page. You can you know, kind of peruse through all of the pictures of all the amenities that are available to you. And in addition to that, uh, you can uh, book through the Evolve website. Of course, you can book through VRBO or Airbnb, but we can save you some money if you book through Evolve. Use promo code BSR10. That gets you 10% off your stay. How cool is that? Well, it certainly is. All right, so uh, as you guys know, the recruiting process continues. As it stands right now, things can always change, right? There's been some ebb and flow. At the beginning of the week, I heard there was going to be maybe two or three visitors this weekend. In the middle of the week, I heard... Maybe a few more, could be as many as 10. Then now I'm hearing that there may not be any 2024 visitors this weekend. And, and th- that could change, right? That's, that's the thing with this you know, portal thing. We have seen these official visits just all over the place. Some guys come for a day. Some guys don't come at all. Some guys that weren't expected to come show up. Some guys that were expected to go elsewhere. It's a moving target. We're working hard to keep you abreast of things. But uh, Going to be a lot of juniors on campus this weekend. You know, now it's the junior year, right? And so you can kind of get ramped up again. So we're going to have several 2025 visitors on campus this weekend. Going to have a bunch more for the weekend of 27th. We're also expecting some official visits on the 27th, too. Uh, that, that's important to understand. So don't expect a big visit weekend. Again, there may be some things pop up late. 
Uh, we're always asking. We're always chasing. We're always plotting, scheming, trying to find as much information as we can. Uh, but um, not a big visit weekend. For the most part, I mean, the hay's in the barn. And there's some other guys that we're continuing to talk to. Uh, but I, I think when it comes to this Russian thing, unless somebody pops open here late, we might wait and see what happens in the spring. But, of course, with all of this new change in college football, the portal – is going to still be open. And that's the thing now when you think about the Alabama stuff. Of course, most of them will just kind of wait and see who they're going to hire. And so we've got new classes starting on the 16th. Drop ad dates are the uh, 23rd and 24th. Memory serves me correct. So we've got some time. So should an Alabama guy go in that we're interested in and he's interested in us, we have time to bring him in. We have time to get him in for a visit. We have time to get him in for spring classes and then of course spring practices and so it's important that you know that that while this big weekend you know last weekend was kind of our, our really big weekend uh, but this last weekend before school starts is not the last weekend and we're running out of spots we're running out of names when it comes to this portal thing and you don't need to take a guy just to take a guy there's so much of that you know, if we can't bring a guy in, yeah, you need bodies. You need some guys who can help you get through practice. But if they're not going to make a contribution, I think you're better off fishing. You know, and, uh, again, we talk about the offensive recruiting under Levy. It's been outstanding. And, again, I, I equate a lot of that to the fact that Levy's brought in a lot of guys that are familiar with his system. I think this offense is going to hit the ground running. Defensively, it's another story. I'm a little more skeptical about defense. And, and as you see, I think recruits – are somewhat skeptical because you don't really know what you're going to run, right? And uh, Coleman Hutzler, of course, you know, worked at Alabama, special teams coordinator, also a co-coordinator at Texas. And so uh, he may not be a name that people know. That's why I think it's important for him, you know, to kind of get out in front of people. But, you know, on offense, you're selling productivity. You know, on defense, you're kind of selling a promise. This is a staff. It's kind of a hodgepodge staff. And that's not being critical. It's just kind of calling it for what it is. You got a lot of guys who've never really worked before. And so there's going to be a, a learning curve for them to learn how to coach and communicate with each other and then implement and install a new scheme. And then, then when you sit down with guys and say, okay, this is what we've done. This is where we are. This is how you fit in our scheme. Uh, but it's going to be awfully interesting as we get into this team. Again, I got a lot of confidence in Jeff Labby. I've spoke to so many coaches over the course of the last few weeks, you know, we, we call and do these uh, coach speak interviews. I do those. I call and, and speak to coaches and just kind of find out what we don't know, you know, about kids. Those are good news articles too, right? I mean, it's always good. But, uh, you know, talk to some guys off the cuff too, you know. Uh, talk, you know, about, hey, wh- what do you think about the levy hire? What's been your interaction with him? It's been in- incredibly positive, incredibly positive. The reaction from coaches. Uh, I won't get into names, you know, because people are talking to me in confidence, you know. But I had somebody just tell me yesterday. I said, you know, Jeff Levy is a fantastic hire. So they had a great relationship with him when he was at Ole Miss. So he understands offense. He understands how to teach offense and coach offense. That's why you go hire the guy. And, and you've heard me say it on this show countless times. I think at Mississippi State, we need an offensive-minded coach. we got to be a little bit different. And some would say, well, yeah, there's this guy. The guys, the game has changed, okay? The game has changed. It's no longer three yards and a cloud of dust and a war of attrition all the time. 
Sometimes you got to line up and blow somebody off the football, but more times than I doubt, nowadays you got to be able to out-scheme people. you got to be able to get wide receivers and running backs into matchups that are advantageous to the offense. Jeff Levy knows that. I had one coach tell me that he's had players that uh, when Jeff Levy was in Central Florida, that he had interactions with him then. His interactions with Jeff Levy when he was at Ole Miss and at Oklahoma and said every time it's been a very positive experience. And said that Jeff's going to be a great ambassador for Mississippi State. And he goes, one thing's for sure, Mississippi State's going to be able to score. You better believe that. They will be able to score. And so now it's at the Bumpus and Kennedy and these guys to kind of get these guys up to speed, you know, on the new scheme. And I, I don't worry about that. I, I don't worry about that. I think uh, Levy has surrounded himself with so many people that know him, know his terminology, uh, know what he wants to do philosophically on offense. I, I, I think that when we get out of the spring, we're going to be in pretty good shape. And, of course, you know, you need the benefit of a season uh, to kind of get people settled in, figure out how people are going to defense you. But uh, you know, defensively, things are, you know, again, I, I think – if we're being optimistic about this, you know, if we can get seven and five, I think it's a great year considering, you know, all the moving pieces to this. But we're going to be in some games that are probably going to be shootouts. And you remember, you remember the first Mullen year? Remember that? You know, we we didn't do some bad years with Kroom offensively, the Woody Corby offense. You know, we called it the the Gulf Coast offense. You know, they were trying to run the West Coast offense, and it just didn't work. You know, and, and I don't think it's something that we knew. You know. It'd be like me just kind of go get an owner's manual and try and teach you guys how to do ballet or something. You know, that, that's kind of how it felt. And I don't mean to be disrespectful, but that's kind of how it came across. You know, it's like, well, we've never really run this offense, but we're going to go, we're going to get a book and we're going to figure this thing out. It's what we want to run. It just wasn't successful. And then you get Dan Mullen and you're like, hey, you know, we just want to move in the right direction. And then Dan's out there moving the football against LSU. And you know, we went five and seven that year and we, we thought we'd won something significant. It's because of the fact we were so much more fun to watch. This is going to be a fun brand of football under Jeff Levy. It is. And there are going to be some days, too. We just need the defense just to be good. We don't need to be great and be elite. We just need them to be good because we're going to be able to score. And you go back and you think, too, and you look at the time you know, when Levy was at Ole Miss. And listen, so there's been some carryover. This is certainly a tenant of the Kiffin scheme. But how many times do you see those guys on the field and you think they're going to go down and score? I mean, you just expect them to score all the time, and it puts so much pressure on your defense and then also on the opposing offense because they feel the need to have to kind of got to hold serve, right? And we may have a defense this year that maybe enables some of that. But it changes the game when you can score at any time. And the expectation is, oh, they get the ball back two minutes. Oh, it's not enough. There's too much time. They're going to go down and score. Uh, so I feel good about the direction of that aspect of it. But, um, yeah, defensively, yeah, there's I, – I don't I don't know that we're in as bad a shape as some of our fans act on defense. As, you know, secondary, I'm more worried about that than I'm anywhere, anything else. But the defensive front, we got some good pieces there. We just need some guys to get healthy and to get some experience. And there's going to be some growing pains with it. I'm not going to sit here and tell you we're going to be like 2018 by any stretch of imagination or the 99 defense. We're, we're not in that league. We're not. But if we can just be average or average to good, then we're going to have a good year. And good year is a relative term when you consider, you know, uh, the circumstances behind the levy hire. You know, the fact that what he's inheriting, we're flipping the roster. And Dave Murray, again, made a great point. Probably the freshest, fresh start in Mississippi State history because of the portal. 
You know, how many times in, in the past was like, well, we're, we're going to go sign 25 kids, and the majority of them are high school guys. You get a couple of JUCO guys, and they're not impact players that can change your, your program. So there was a, a, a rebuild involved in many respects because all of your newcomers were freshmen. So you had to kind of play with what you had. It's a little different scenario now with this portal. As it stands now, 15 new transfers coming in. And so uh, that could change a lot, right? And that, that, that's an understand of, uh, understanding that everybody needs to have is that with these newcomers, as many as we have, you're going to hit on some and some other ones you're not. But Jeff Levy kind of has a running start to this, whereas some coaches in the past didn't have the benefit of the portal because you have some guys at times go in the portal that aren't going to play here or don't fit your scheme and you can replace them with guys that do. So that's a part of this. I know a lot of our people hate the portal. Um, it's here to stay, you know. I don't see much change happening with the portal. They're not going to restrict it. It could be a situation where they actually open it up to unlimited transfers, which I think would be just, in many respects, an absolute disaster. That's my personal opinion. You may disagree. But that's how I feel. But I think Jeff has done a good job coming in. That's, one again, one of the selling points you know, from people that I talked to when Levy had the interview is that he believed that he could flip the roster very quickly, that he didn't see 2024 as a rebuild. And again, measured expectations. But uh, I admire a coach that's not just coming in here having a press conference and just kind of offering you lip service. These guys have been out here grinding, man. They have been. Absolutely grinding their way through this thing. And you got to think, from the moment Jeff Levy got off that plane until now, it's been wide open every single day with the exception of a little Christmas break there, you know. And so once we get in the class, get the uh, the situation settled, and again, you know, now you're not going to have a ton of visitors. You're going to have juniors come in, but, you know, you got plenty of time to recruit those guys. But you're not going to have a ton of portal guys uh, on campus here in the next uh, couple of weeks. You know, I expect some. Can't put a number on it because we just don't know how it's going to play out. But uh, when you begin to think about that aspect of it, once we get into class and all of a sudden you start having your, your, your meetings with players, you can sit down with coaches, begin to work on things schematically, you kind of get into the flow of football. You get into a routine. Nothing has been routine uh, since the day Jeff Levy got here because it's been one thing after another. You know, I can't begin to imagine uh, how much he'll probably rest, you know, get a good night's rest once we get this class into spring uh, classes and you begin to have a sense of normalcy around you just because of the fact now all of a sudden you can kind of get into a normal routine. Uh, you, you've got plenty of time to recruit guys, and uh, you're going to have some guys come in, kind of like a junior day type deal, but you're going to have a lot of guys come in. And uh, we need some early commitments. And, and, and I, I, usually I'm like, ah, it's not a big deal. I think it is a big deal this year. And I think that Mississippi State's done a good job in-state already identifying some guys that, that can be a part of this program. Uh, I, I think you need some early juice to kind of create some urgency with some other players. You got, you know, of course, you've got a full year to recruit these guys, but uh, I think you need some juice. You know, we, we used to have the big junior day thing, so we would be on commitment watch, and then all of a sudden we quit having traditional junior days, so you didn't have the benefit of all this. But uh, I, I think we probably need to see something happen you know, relatively soon. I'm not saying this weekend. You could pick up a commitment this weekend. You could. Uh, but uh, what we need to see is some in-state juice because it really felt like last year we, we, we stumbled out of the gate in-state. We made up some ground in the summer, and then by the time we got into the season, by and large, most of the in-state prospects had made their decisions. 
And so when you begin to look at it in those terms, that it's really not no longer a 12 months marathon, it's about a six to eight month sprint. And Zach Arnett and the staff, of course, you know, turn, a lot of turnover last year and Ole Miss, a lot of continuity on staff. And so they got some big early wins uh, in the spring. They did. And so we've got to be able to counteract that. And so I think that's probably an important aspect of, again, you've got Camario, right? Uh, and you feel like you're in good shape with the, with the Tyler Lockhart and you feel like, uh, you know, Caleb Cunningham's the guy that will ultimately pick the Bulldogs on the win. You know, he's going to release his top ten here soon. You best believe Mississippi State's going to be on there. Uh, but it's a good year in-state, and it could end up being a really good year in-state. You know, this time last year we were so excited about this defensive line class, and by the end of the year we thought, you know what, it wasn't as good as we thought it was going to be. It's still pretty good, right? And that's not having a sour grapes approach because you say, well, see, we should have got these guys. I can pick apart every single one of these guys. Uh, my two favorite defensive linemen in this state are Kamarion Franklin and Terrence Hibbler. I think Kamarion and people are, oh, he went to Ole Miss. Why? That doesn't change my opinion of his tape. Now, you put on that West Point game, it looks like he's on roller skates, and nobody looks great against West Point, right? There are a lot of people in this state that are happy to see Chris Chambliss retire. And, of course, Brett Morgan, congratulations, Brett, uh, gets the job there. But West Point – kind of got after Lake Colmarant, Kamari and Franklin. But when you look, think about projectability, this guy has it. He has the size, he has athleticism, really, really looks good on the field. Um, you know, got to get a little bit better against the run. Yeah, but I like him. And I think Terrence Sibler is the most game-ready interior defensive lineman we've had in a couple years. Yeah, and the Hibbler's a guy, too, that played out of position this year, played in. Of course, they wanted to have him impact the game. He got a ton of sacks. Um you know, how's he going to adjust just playing on the inside? I think he's built for that. Everybody sees that. But my point being is that at first blush, you know, all these guys are going to come out. And then what happens is people in my industry, because they think their school is going to get a guy, they start ramping him up. Oh, this guy's great. This guy's – he's going to be the next guy. And then all of a sudden you get into and you look at the tape and you get him into camp in the summer. And then all of a sudden you, you kind of get a better viewpoint because right now a lot of that, the heat – around these guys involves about their offer sheet. Like, oh, well, this is a kid. Oh, he's going he's to be committed to our school, so he's got to be great. That's not always the case. And so the recruiting process and recruiting rankings process uh, takes time, right? And the last rankings, which will have one more update for the 2024 class at 247, I do expect uh, some guys to, to get some upper mobility. I'm a little concerned about Jimothy Lewis. He didn't have a great all-star game on a high look in practices, and you just never uh, base an evaluation just based off one game. But I won't be surprised if he drops a point. Go ahead and be prepared for that. I hope he maintains. I know he's not going to move up. But when I think about the uh, Mississippi guys and some guys in Alabama, you know, and some other guys in the class like Michael Van Buren, uh, we're certainly hoping you know, that he moves up another spot or two or more, MVP of the Under Armour game. You can't sit here and tell me those games are ex- extremely important in your evaluation and then not give the MVP a little increase in his ranking. It's just kind of how I see it. And I make those moments known. Uh, yeah, news uh, confirmation, Mike Norvell's new deal at uh, Florida State, eight years, more than $10 million per. Remember when Bobby Bowden got the million-dollar contract for life and everybody's like, oh, how amazing is that? Yeah, look at it now. $10 million per. Crazy. Absolutely nuts. Absolutely nuts. 
lot of Nick Saban's about to make a lot of people rich. Yeah, some guys who are already rich about to be even richer. So, yeah, we're here for the chaos as long as it doesn't impact us. Listen, you guys have a great weekend. If you hadn't done so, go to windthebottomfalls.com and you can order the new book. All my sports titles are available there, too. That's Flim Flam, Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs, and Dogpile. Can you believe it? Your boy's written six books now. Uh, laid awake last night thinking about writing number seven, but I wanted to go ahead and start you know, structuring that first chapter. So we'll get to work on all that. We'll have that for you sooner rather than later. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.